Welcome to Christmas. Well, we want to welcome you to our Christmas Eve service, and I just want to say on behalf of myself and my family, of uh, the Board of Deacons, and on behalf of Warden uh, Full Gospel Assembly, if you're visiting with us, we just want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. Amen? And a Happy New Year, of course. Um, and allow me, you know, here, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel the love in the room tonight. Amen? I do. And I just think about Advent, and uh, I hope you feel hope as well. And understand that just like Anna and Simeon, uh, all those years ago, hope for Messiah, you can have hope that he's going to return. Amen? You have peace because he brings peace. A peace that we don't understand. It comes in times when we feel like the world would tell us we don't deserve peace. But he comes in those moments in joy. The joy should be ever-present in every circumstance. Amen? And love. Love is why he came. Love is absolutely why he came. Now, I kind of feel like I'm the only person here tonight who didn't dress like a grown-up. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to get that. But I'm a Charlie Brown fan. In case, you, in case you didn't know, Charlie Brown is one of the few cartoons that come on at Christmas time where they actually read the Christmas story. And I never get tired of seeing Linus stand in that spotlight and read the Christmas story. And so why don't you stand with me this morning, and I'm going to read it with you to, this evening. I don't go to a lot of evening services anymore. Do you notice that? Why don't you stand with this, and let's just, uh, let's just read this together. Beginning at Luke chapter 2, down from 1 down to 12. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. There you go. You got past the crazy word, right? Quirinius. That's a tough one. You're good. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you you will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Father, I pray that you would make these words real to us. Lord, the words in Scripture that we hear more than most, O oh God, and the danger of hearing Scripture over and over again, Lord, is we let it be ritualistic. We let it become something that becomes commonplace. There is nothing common about this account. And today, Lord, we celebrate the fact that you are radically right here. We sense your love. 
We are here because of your love. So give me clarity of thought and speech, Lord, as I present your word tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified this season above all. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. No one had ever seen God before. Not like this anyway. But now, here he is, a baby. A baby. I don't know about you, but I love babies. I love looking into the eyes of little babies. I love my babies when they were babies. And now one of them is here with high heels on. She's almost as tall as I am, and I'm freaking out a little bit. For all of Hebrew history, no one had ever seen God in flesh, in human form. Incarnation literally means embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. There are many accounts of the appearances of God to people throughout the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Job, and in some cases, the pre-incarnate Christ is referred to as the angel of the Lord. There are arguments about whether or not people actually physically looked into the face of God or whether these were spiritual encounters or visions as in Isaiah 6, or in some cases, it was a voice that heard, they heard coming from fire, wind, and even earthquakes. These theophanies of the Old Testament are important and deserve our attention, but make no mistake, none of them were like this. The theophanies of the Old Testament all came with fear, pure terror, in fact. And if you go to Isaiah 6 and read the first five verses, you get a good example of this. It says, beginning at verse 1 in Isaiah 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine? Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Can you imagine what it would have felt like? At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, as I said, and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, says I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I can see why he would have been terrified. Contrast Isaiah's reaction to John's description in John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 15 says, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The incarnation changed for all of eternity our ability to know him, to experience him. He was now 
radically and literally right here. Here for the first time, he is physically present. Mary's natural eyes looking into the natural eyes of the Savior of her world. But a baby? A baby? I don't want you to lose the absolute incredible nature of this. Just a baby. They were not, they were not looking up at a six foot five strapping king like Saul. They were not looking into the eyes of a visually impressive human like Samson. They were not looking into the eyes of a rich and powerful king like David and Solomon. They were not looking into the eyes of an elderly man who looked like Gandalf from the Lord of Rings. Because that's what we all think God looks like, you know. That's what the world kind of has him pictured, right? These were not the eyes of a withered, season-wise sage. These were not the eyes of a person in their prime and obvious leader. These were not even the eyes of an adolescent king like Josiah, who was brave enough as a boy, approximately eight years old, to reestablish worship, to reestablish worship to Yahweh and Judah almost a thousand years prior to this. No, the first time anyone's physical eyes looked into the physical eyes of God, they saw infant eyes. Those deep pools of mystery that had not even settled into their permanent color yet. The God of all creation came in as vulnerable a way as humanly imaginable. His health and survival were entrusted to the hands of of a couple who had not yet even made marital vows to one another. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Nowadays, we worry about our children being born in hospitals that are sterilized environments. But there is no way around it. This stable, likely a rock cut, was not a clean place. A feed trough is not an ideal bed. One person agrees with me. (laughs) Livestock is not an ideal welcoming committee. And the humans that did arrive to celebrate his arrival were shepherds, widely considered a noble profession, but also considered one of the lowest societal positions in, the, in that ancient time. In fact, the only visitors of consequence were the Magi, which are believed to have shown up a couple of years later. Yet it is the shepherds who become the first Heralds of the gospel. Isn't it amazing? It reminds us today that anybody, no matter what your situation in life, can share the love of Jesus. How does this story make you feel today? Have you captured or recaptured the wonder of the incarnation? Has it just become the faceless images we see on the nativities we display? Maybe we are still distracted by how we're supposed to be able to pronounce or figure out how to pronounce words like Quirinius. The beauty of this account is that the God of all creation allowed himself to be helplessly dependent on humanity. 
He was a baby. I don't know about you, but if he got up out of the out of the out of the the manger and started walking around and telling people what to do, I think I would have freaked out even more. He was dependent on his parents. Like I said, his real eye color would have not even really come in yet. It doesn't settle in until after like six months or something. I know this because I remember the blueness of my two children's eyes and how it amazed me. The beauty of this account is that God, the God of all creation, allowed himself to be helplessly dependent on humanity. When 1 Corinthians 13 verses 48 describes love, it says this. It says, love is patient. It is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Consider this passage when thinking about young parents and their first baby. Babies are not patient. I don't know if you haven't noticed. They're not patient. If they want the bottle, they want the bottle. They want to get changed, they want to get changed. And you got to figure that out yourself, don't you, parents? It doesn't always feel like babies are kind. I know they have kind faces. In fact, their timing is sometimes too convenient, as if they know when you just fell back to sleep. They are so jealous for your attention. And we love it. On the other hand, from the parents' point of view, it is very easy to speak the words of 1 Corinthians 13 over our children as we pray. Miraculously, as parents, we find our patience. We become completely selfless. We don't keep records of the late night wake-ups, or do we? I don't know. We rejoice in the miracle that is our child. Now consider God's love for us in sending his son. Yes, he has sent his son, and he was certainly under divine surveillance as your child, as your children and mine are as well. But God first entrusted him to the care of humanity, who through the generations was not kind or patient. They were envious and boastful, they dishonored each other regularly, were self-seeking, easily angered, malicious record keepers who failed to defend God's word, to trust him, to persevere. We failed him constantly. Yet he still entrusted his son to our care. All of our kids have bumps and, bumps and bruises and we pad everything in our houses nowadays. <laughs> the first time I held Brooklyn in my arms, he's my oldest, Ollie too, I had to say I wondered if God should trust me with such a precious gift. Every parent feels that unworthiness to some degree, don't we? Yet he did. And he entrusted his one and only son to the care of this young couple in a dirty stable where his first night's sleep would be head lying on a donkey's breakfast for crying out loud. Why would he entrust 
his only son to the care of humanity who continually failed him. Love. Why would he allow his son to die on the cross for our sins 33 years later? Love. Why did he rise from the grave and ascend to heaven to prepare a place for those who have accepted him and call him Lord? Love. Why did he send his Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts, in the hearts of his children? Love. Why does he remain patient with us even now, even today? Love. There couldn't have been a more radical entrance of a king, the promised Messiah, a baby completely dependent on his created for food, shelter, health, and well-being. But he came for a reason. He came to deal with sin, to restore the relationship that was severed in the Garden of Eden. We need to remember that his introduction to the world in the flesh was as radical as one could imagine. But today, in this season, right now, maybe you need to hear that he is still radically right here. Maybe tonight you're sensing him through the power of his spirit for the first time. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can invite him to come into your heart, not as a helpless baby, but as a risen Savior who loves and trusts you enough to forgive you and welcome you into his family. Amen. Father, today, Lord Jesus, we recite an account, a story that we've heard many, many, many times. But Lord, I pray that you would establish a wonder in our hearts, reestablish a wonder in our hearts for this amazing account this incarnation where God became flesh and dwelt among us and trusted us with your son. So Father, we may feel like we failed over and over and over again and we may not feel like we deserve your trust. But today, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can come alongside every one of us and remind us, Lord Jesus, that you love us and that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us any less. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that for the first time today, oh God, would accept you and invite you into their hearts, Lord, we join with the angels and celebrate. We join with the angels and celebrate. And it all became possible because you sent your son. And because he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And our sins that day was nailed to that cross, Lord Jesus. And today, oh God, we can live with a new life because of that sacrifice. Father, we love you today. I pray, oh God, that as we approach 2024, one week away, that we would be prepared, Lord Jesus, to be the light just like on that night, oh God, you came, not as anybody expected, but you came 
And you were radically right there, oh God. You were a light that entered the world, oh God, in 2024. Lord, we can be a light to this city, to our families. Use us, Lord, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing Silent Night. And uh, the ushers are going to come. And they're going to light the candles that you have. And we're all just going to, as we sing together, as the candles get lit, the lights will get a little lower. And um, let's just take the time to contemplate the very simple truth that Jesus came because he loved you and he loved me. Amen. God bless you.